on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Men. Radio ESPNRadio.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.
anchors, one of the main play-by-play guys, one of the faces of lacrosse at ESPN. He will join us later in the show, about 520, to break down Syracuse, Loyola, and the upcoming tournament. So all you laxheads out there, we're going to give you your fix today. We're going to talk some Tim Tebow today. Where are we at with Tebow, right? Because through the hype, through the buildup, through everything that comes with Tim Tebow, one of the world's greatest humans, can he play baseball? That was the question we could not get away from, that was easy to get away from, given the hype and the buildup and just kind of how unique of an athlete he is. And the answer to that question right now is, no, actually, he really can't. So we'll get into that later in the show. We'll do some hot takes, including in hot takes, the team that if I gave you the rest of the afternoon without Googling it, you couldn't name five players on the team, but they're winning. Stop coming up to Bishop's left. 14-16 to play in the second overtime. 1-1 the score. Blues win the draw. Here's Thomas. He stick handles in. Thomas off the goal post. It's loose. They score. The St. Louis Blues, the most random team in pro sports. I think we need to adopt them. I think we need to embrace the Blues. I think we need to make them more well-known. Yes, a radio show in Syracuse, New York, is going to up the status of the St. Louis Blues. So we'll discuss that, all the playoff happenings. In hot takes, we'll go on the blind side and more. But I do want to start with something that we've spent a lot of time on the last couple of weeks, and I'm just kind of wondering if it's come to a close here today, and that is the college basketball, whatever you want to call it, corruption scandal, bribery scandal, all these big names. You know, what would the graphic on... ESPN or CNN or one of those networks be in describing the college hoops trial. So here is the result of what we heard about last week in the testimony. And as we had discussed, people like Dan Wetzel saying this could turn college basketball on its head and how we handle controversy these days, how we handle things that in a different time, in a different era would probably be much bigger deals than they are, but unfortunately have become normal in society today, and this is one of them. So let me give you the details for those that haven't heard, and that's just coming out this afternoon. A federal jury in New York convicted aspiring agent Christian Dawkins and former Adidas consultant Merrill Code for their roles in bribing basketball assistant coaches to influence their players to sign with Dawkins' new sports management company and certain financial advisors once they turn pro. A jury deliberated for parts of three days before convicting Code and Dawkins. Dawkins was found guilty of conspiracy to commit bribery and bribery, while Code was convicted of conspiracy to commit bribery. Dawkins had been facing six total charges and Code four. And that's something that people have been asking about this. Well, okay, we know that college basketball's dirty. And we know that players get paid, and we know that coaches get paid. And there's a lot of things that happen in this underbelly of college sports that we don't see, but why were they on trial? Why were the feds involved? And that's why. Bribery. U.S. District Court Judge Eduardo Ramos will sentence Code and Dawkins at a later date. I'm very curious to see what kind of jail time they get for this. Now, just to rehash for those that, you know, kind of, Uh, which one is this, which controversy, and I don't blame you for not being able to separate them because we've got a little too many in sports these days. Dawkins and Code were accused of facilitating bribes of thousands of dollars to three former assistant coaches, Tony Bland of USC, who of course played at Syracuse, Emmanuel Book Richardson of Arizona, and Lamont Evans of South Carolina and Oklahoma State. Each of the former assistant coaches pled guilty to one felony count of conspiracy to commit bribery. 
They are scheduled for sentencing later this month. So Dawkins took the stand and really exposed something that we all know happens. But my question was, how much do we care that it happens? Because I think most fans, if I got them alone on a mountaintop, and I described to you the process of how, as it was laid out in court, and seemingly it happened specifically at Arizona, that DeAndre Ayton was paid $10,000 a month out of the head coach's pocket for that one year he would be at Arizona. And Arizona had a darn good team that year that many predicted could win the national championship, certainly with DeAndre Ayton's help. And that controversy, that story started to come out right around tournament time. And Sean Miller was suspended, and people were wondering if he was even going to be the coach there anymore. I'm stunned, frankly. He's still the coach there now. And it got to a point where Sean Miller got defiant about this. And Sean Miller basically said, like, I'm going to coach my team, and I should be coaching my team. And Arizona eventually agreed with him and reinstated him, and he's coaching the team now. Will Wade, LSU. Similar circumstances, a player from New Jersey is involved and there's bribes and who's feeding him the money and where is it coming from? LSU was a top four seed coming into the tournament. He sits for the tournament, but then is eventually reinstated. Colleges are at the point where they know they can absorb more of the blow of this. And it depends on what the situation is. Every Not every detail is exactly the same here, but... What colleges are willing to withstand? Now, we live in an era where some people say it's too PC. People get fired too quickly, and Twitter mobs and social media mobs can organize and get people fired for things. If you're upset about what you know a political commentator says, you can list all their sponsors on social media, and people can protest and say, I'm not going to buy your products and all those things, and they lose a few sponsors, but they truck on. If anything, it creates a counterculture. Right, Everything today, there's a culture and a counterculture. It depends on which side of the fence you fall on. Right, We're seeing that in the political world. We see it every day. No matter what your political leanings are these days in very tumultuous times politically. Yay, democracy! There's a culture and a counterculture. There's Republicans and Democrats. There's pro-Trump, anti-Trump, however you want to phrase it. I'm not going to get into politics because it's just not what we do on this show. But the way... Or pardon me, the, the reason I wanted to bring that up is when things happen at the top like that and we become desensitized to what in itself, if you look at it from a certain point of view, and I'm not talking about the opinion on whether you feel somebody is guilty or innocent of something, but think about some of the major political scandals that have happened in our lifetime. And right, wrong, or indifferent, no matter what side of it you're on, What has happened since Trump was elected and put into office is like six Watergates in terms of the coverage and the the major scale of this and the point that it's reached. It's amazing. So the reason you remember Watergate and the Bill Clinton scandal and things when you go through political times is because they stood out and they were covered as one thing for months on end. Well, the process works differently these days. And what happens is we become desensitized to it. It saddens me to say this, but tell me it's not true. Another school shooting in Colorado yesterday. That has become normal. That has become something we hear about almost weekly in the society we live in today. Again, I'm not making a political statement here. I'm Just tell me I'm wrong. That has become normal. The whys of that, the debates about gun control and all those things, somebody else can handle that in a different forum. 
So why do I relate this to college sports? Because in any other time, Sean Miller is not coaching at Arizona anymore. People are running scared and trying to figure out who's connected to the names that are coming up in this. But what administrators are discovering, and I did ask John Wildhack about this the other day, and he said what you would expect somebody in his position to say. We are monitoring this, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it was basically, we set a culture here, and we expect people to adhere to that culture, and if they go astray of that, they won't be here, right? But what I'm discovering, and I think fans are discovering, is what can we tolerate? What are we, let's circle back to this word, desensitized to? And think about even what happened here a couple years ago. Jim Beheim got suspended for 10 games by the NCAA for the findings of what happened here and what was announced in 2015. And that led to a forced retirement, and that led to a lot of things that initially sounded bad, right? Because when the NCAA ruled on something in a time and a place, that meant something. It no longer does because the flaws of the NCAA exposed and have been challenged like no time before, and rightfully so in many ways. I mean, Jay Billis alone has made the NCAA look toothless, but it is exposing for a long time what were archaic practices that they still try and apply in 2019. So to hear about these things and to hear about scandals and agents and money being as desensitized to this stuff as we are and knowing more information than we ever have and fully being aware of the process of how big time, and I'm not painting everybody under the same brush here, but how many big time athletes land where they do, you know, art imitates life. It's blue chips. It's he got game. It's the program. And those movies were all made in the 1990s. It's 2019. We no longer care. And I'm not saying you have to, because what has been exposed is that the student athletes, air quotes, getting paid to go to a certain school, especially at a high level, certainly a name like DeAndre Ayton, we hear that they're getting paid $10,000 a month to go where they go and do what they do. And our response to that is good for them because they're not getting paid while they're at school and being exposed by that school and by the NCAA and anybody else you want to put in that conversation. So Dawkins and Code are going to go to jail for bribery. If you break the law, the feds get involved, they're going to find the evidence, and, and they're going to nail you. So I'm not saying that shouldn't happen, but I go back to the question I asked last week. What was really on trial there? What was really on trial? The process of college sports itself or a couple of shady agents that were doing everything they can to get their piece of a very profitable pie. And I think most people looked at it and said, well, you can't break the law. And if you did that, that's a you problem, right? But what was really on trial there? It's just something we know and have come to accept and have been, once again, desensitized. That's not to say a scandal can't come along and will cost coaches their jobs and, you know, this is the end of schools caring about this stuff. That's certainly not where we're at, but that should have been a much bigger deal than it was, in my opinion. And, I mean, those guys are going to jail. We don't know for how long their sentencing is coming up, but it's all kind of 
dying down now, and who knows what other trials will come of this and other stories and coaches that we thought were running scared from this but are looking at it saying, no, maybe I don't have to. Instead, what they say is, well, just don't get caught. (laughs) Here's how to avoid getting caught. If anything, this gave them a blueprint of how to do what they do and not get caught. 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. We will shift gears, talk some lacrosse coming up with one of the greatest to do it, Gary Gate, who's now the head coach, of course, of the SU women's lacrosse team, about to take the Orange into his 11th NCAA tournament as head coach. We will talk about that coming up. But first, we will get an update from our friend Lee Baldwin, who I saw this morning bright and early walking into the building, doing his thing with my man Rick Gary and the boys on K-Rock, and now he's with us here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Lee, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great, Brent. How about you? I'm great. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. Is the market getting over the hump after a rough day yesterday? You know, it was rough yesterday. We had a 200-point swing in the Dow. We were up 100, down 100, okay. and closed just about uh, not much going on. So I, I think it was a moral victory today. Excellent. What are we looking at diamonds and dogs? Wise? So my diamonds today, it's all about content. So we're going with Roku, which is up uh, four bucks. No, five bucks now. <laughs> it's moving. Very nice. Speak. And so they had good earnings and Disney's up over two or three bucks as well. So. I'm a fan of Roku. I just got the Roku. I, I work with a couple other things with it. I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a b- big believer in it. I came to it way too late. Yeah, well, and they, they had a great report today as far as I can tell. It's, it's early yet, but... Uh, uh, and we do have to have a dog, Intel, which is the big chip maker, down about 2%. So okay. uh, the whole, all the chips are down. So, um, But we'll see. Well, maybe we'll get a trade deal by Friday. Who knows, right? How, how about our friends at Meatless Meat? Did you see what they did today? Or? <laughs> it went higher, believe it or not. There you and go. It could have made my dog, but I don't like to round trip from diamond to dog. But it, <laughs> it was down 7 bucks today. So uh, if you buy that one, keep your head on a swivel. I will. I will definitely do that. Lee, thanks as always, my friend. All right. Thanks, guys. It's Lee Baldwin. You can find him at LeeBaldwin.com, or better yet, stop in. Kaz, Manlius, Utica, and make sure you have more diamonds than dogs on your portfolio. Let's break. Gary Gate next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Thanks again to Gary Gate for joining us on the Burdick Toyota Hotline. If you're like, wait, Brent, I, I wanted to hear one of the greatest lacrosse players ever talk some lacrosse, but I missed it. Not too bad. Not like we have this audio vault or something on the website that you can go to and listen to interviews on demand whenever you want. I mean, if we had, what's that? Oh, we do have that. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. You can you can go listen to it at ESPNSyracuse.com in the audio vault as we do with all the interviews we do on this program. And I'll also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, iTunes, find ESPN Syracuse, subscribe, and off you go. It's just a, a world of magic. Get me with that fancy open. Let's do this thing. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hurt. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. Thomas, he stick handles in. Thomas off the goalpost. It's loose. They score. That's the winning call as your St. Louis Blues, our St. Louis Blues. St. Louis native, Patrick Maroon, 
is the hero in double overtime for the Blues. And former Syracuse Crunchy Patrick Maroon, by the way, with the win right there. So, okay, there's a few things about the St. Louis Blues. Yes, the St. Louis Blues. So on this show yesterday, I noted as the most random professional sports team of the major four sports because you just never hear a thing about them. I know one St. Louis Blues fan. Shout out Robin Thompson. Advanced Media, one of our ace salespeople, huge Blues fan. She grew up in St. Louis, loves the St. Louis Blues. She's the only person I've ever like had a conversation with about the St. Louis Blues. So don't take that the wrong way, that they're the most random sports team out there. It's just we never talk about them. You can give me the rest of this show. I cannot name you five St. Louis Blues off the top of my head. Can't do it. But I think I'm ready to embrace the St. Louis Blues for a few reasons. One. The Bruins have won a cup recently. Carolina's won a cup recently. Colorado, I kind of have to root for because my brother-in-law is a huge Avalanche fan, and I'll kind of be rooting for them, and I got a couple of their top scorers on my fantasy team. San Jose, I mean, how many times are we going to play this game where San Jose gets gets close to winning the cup and doesn't? St. Louis is a team you can embrace for a few reasons. Do you know that on January 2nd, they were the worst team in the National Hockey League, which goes to how long the hockey season is. Maybe it's a little too long. But they were the worst team, and now they're four wins away from the Stanley Cup Final. Random fact about that, by the way, which many of you know, but it doesn't hurt to remind you. So when the St. Louis Blues came into the National Hockey League in 1967, they made three straight Stanley Cup Finals including one famously where, you know, Bobby Orr, the Boston Bruins in 1970, one of the, the most more famous pictures in the history of hockey. St. Louis got swept in all three of those finals. They've never won a Stanley Cup game. Been in three finals, never won a game. Now, all that's well and good. I like the way they play and everything, but the best reason to embrace the St. Louis Blues is this. That's right. Miss Laura Branigan and Gloria. What I love about teams that make these postseason runs are these stories of good luck charms and things they embrace. Like Carolina, they're the bunch of jerks, right? And just these things that people catch on to. That's what people remember. And we certainly need that to remember the St. Louis Blues. So what's the story with this? Earlier this year, they started playing this song. Why? Because in February, a bunch of players from the team, Alexander Steen, Joel Edmondson, Jaden Schwartz, were watching the Eagles-Bears NFC title game when a DJ played Gloria during a commercial break. So as Edmondson told stlouisblues.com, quote, this one guy looked at the DJ and said, keep playing Gloria. So they kept playing it. Everyone would get up and start singing and dancing, and we just sat back and watched it happen. Right there, we decided that we have to play this song after our wins. We won the next game, we got a shutout, and we just kept playing it. Okay, we need to add this to the 80s bump immediately if it's not there, and I don't believe it is. And that's just amazing. So, St. Louis, we're adopting you. I hope I don't put the dreaded curse of the axe man on you, but I just love the story. They're so random. Nobody ever hears about them. Let's give them some love. That's hot. Ruin for St. Louis to win the cup. That's for sure. 
Of all the things I've ever talked about in my great fortune to do sports talk radio since the mid-1990s, is I remember this like it's yesterday. And it's amazing how far we've progressed, and this is a good thing. And that is this. Remember the Casey Martin thing? If you don't remember Casey Martin, Casey Martin was a professional golfer who in the late 1990s, there was a huge roaring debate in not only the golf world, but the sports world in general about Casey Martin needing a cart. He had a degenerative leg disorder. He literally can't walk or he would, his leg, he would, I'm not a doctor. I don't try to play one on the radio either, but the short of it is he needed the cart to get from shot to shot. His game was up to PGA level, but he needed a cart, which golfers were so against because, well, we walk the course. That's what golfers do. We're walkers. It's in the rules. If you can't do it, then you can't play. And there were just raging debates about this for weeks in the golf world. Now, fast forward to 2019. John Daly has been granted a cart at the PGA Championship next week, which you can hear right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, by the way, because he has a knee injury. Do you want to know how full circle this has come? In 1998, there were a lot of players on the PGA Tour that didn't want people to use a cart because it was a rules thing. In 2019, if you use a cart, it's because you're out of shape. Think of the difference, the training, the body types, the look. In 1998, there's a lot of golfers out there that had the dad bods going. Watch the PGA Tour now. Every one of them is Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods. They are cut. They are in shape. They are true athletes. So for those that were screaming about this 20 years ago, and I was somebody that believed Casey Martin can use that card all he wants because his game was up to par. He just needed help from shot to shot. It does not provide you an advantage to sit in a cart. And the, the ridiculous things that people said about it then. You look at it now, if John Daly needs a cart to get from shot to shot because he's got a bum ankle, whatever. I don't care. And look at it this way. For those that would say, well, is that going to give people an excuse to use a cart because of all sorts of things? My answer to that is no. And the easy answer to that is this, Pride. You think those golfers want to be in a cart? These PGA guys, there's a lot of pride in how in shape they are and that they can walk the course. And let's be honest here. How much of an advantage are you really getting because you're riding from shot to shot? The answer is you're not. Yeah, maybe if it's like 97 degrees out in some of these places and you're dealing with conditions there or not, but you still got to make the shots. And when I watch a golf tournament, how often am I watching the players walk from shot to shot? The answer is you don't. What you see and all I need to see is when they hit the golf ball. So I was just so struck by this. and I've talked about a thousand things plus over the years and forgotten about many of them. But that Casey Martin thing stuck with me because it was old guard and golf and golf is about rules and pride and traditions. And to think back to those conversations now, I'm glad that we have progressed. I'm glad that people really don't care. Golf's made a lot of changes this year, even on a local level, even if you're just, you know, a guy going out there, and many of you, I'm sure, are on the way to the golf course right now, as you should be. It's gorgeous outside. There's new rules that 
local players have to adhere to. You can leave the pin in now and, and certain things that people are getting used to this year. The, even 20, if I brought that up 20 years ago, hey, I think we should be able to leave the pin in. I mean, the traditionalists would have come here and golf clapped me out of the room. How dare you, sir, say that this fine game should leave the pin inside. Now get out. But now golf is recognized. The world moves faster. They need more players. They've got to appeal to a younger generation. And in this sense, if a guy needs a cart to get from shot to shot, that's hot. Who cares? Who cares? And I'm glad that that is the case now. Good for them. That's called progress. Here's something that progress has left behind. And I want to be careful about this because sometimes in this media world we live in today, and I realize I'm in the media, so I'm pointing the finger at myself sometimes. I have certainly fallen victim to things in this day and age and how fast the media cycle moves, social media, and made those mistakes and would prefer not to. But we all kind of get sucked in by stuff. So I want to be careful about this, but here's what we do know. The Chicago Cubs are investigating an incident. So last night on television, and I'll read this from WGN, okay? This is the president of business operations, Crane Kenny, from the Chicago Cubs. Quote, we are currently investigating an incident that occurred during the Cubs' May 7th broadcast on NBC Sports Chicago, while reporter Doug Glanville, who I will add is black, was on the air. An individual seated behind Mr. Glanville used what appears to be an offensive hand gesture that is associated with racism. Such ignorant and repulsive behavior is not tolerated at Wrigley Field. We are reviewing the incident thoroughly because no one should be subjected to this type of offensive behavior. So the symbol, which appears to be an okay hand gesture, has kind of a complicated background. There are people that have gone on social media sites, websites, and kind of made it kind of an alt-right thing. It was a hoax, basically, to trick the media into thinking it was a form of racism. It basically became internet trolling. See, the problem is it started happening for real. People picked up on it because the way people fall into echo chambers these days and think it's real and the crazy stuff that gets shared online, unfortunately, that's the downside of the internet, right? People started really doing this. So if you watch the video, this guy realizes he's on television and makes a point to make the symbol behind Doug Glanville, who is black. Was it a racist thing? Was it just, you know, a vile thing? Was it just a hand gesture? Like, I'm struck by a number of things here, how quickly those things grow, the way people perceive things. But I'm more struck by this, how quickly people recognize, oh, I got a chance to go viral right now. And that's what comes to your mind immediately. Oh, I got my 10 seconds here. If I do something, I'm going to be famous on Twitter tomorrow. That's almost become normal. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is that just life as it is today? I'll let you ponder that. We'll see if, in fact, it was something racially twinged. But even if it wasn't, think of the instinct. We're all trained to know, oh, I'm on camera. I can go viral here. Let's break on that. No, we will come back with this. Tim Tebow is quite literally the worst player in AAA baseball right now. That's not my opinion. That's an actual fact in some ways. We'll tell you about that coming up. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. All guests join us on the Burdick Toyota Hotline, including our friend Anish Shroff from ESPN. He's going to join us in about 15 minutes. Looking forward to that. How's it going? Happy Wednesday. Getting over that hump, baby. Nice sunshiny day. If 
you're here in Central New York or wherever you're listening today on the ESPN app. So Tim Tebow's the worst. No, literally, he's the worst. If you look at AAA stats right now, in several categories, Tebow is either literally the worst or one of the worst in AAA baseball right now. So Tebow, who is 32 years old at this point of life, trying to make it as a legit baseball prospect. And I know coming into this, we were all we all had our eyes open on this, right? Nobody came into this thinking like Tim Tebow is going to storm the majors and become a fixture for the New York Mets for the next five to six years. And the debates that people had about him being a legit prospect or not, is he taking a spot from somebody? You know, when you're in single A and double A, that's not so much of a discussion. I mean, it can be, certainly. But when you're in triple A, we're going to find out if you truly are a baseball player. It's truth serum. Triple-A is all players on the cusp of or have been in Major League Baseball. And it's interesting because the Syracuse Mets have the most experienced team in Minor League Baseball. They have several players that have spent a lot of time in Major League Baseball. So them being mixed with the great experiment here in Tim Tebow was always going to be interesting. Now, to their credit, from everything I have heard and seen, and I'm not with the team every day, but I've talked to people that certainly are. I just had Michael Tricarico on my podcast who's around the team every day, and he said, this is an amazing group of guys. They do get along. They're actually 18 and 14 is not lighting the world on fire, but it's near or they have been in first place at times this year. Okay, great. But you're playing with a bunch of guys, even in your own team, that are going to tell you whether you fit. So as it stands right now, here on May the 8th, and it should be noted, to be fair, that last year Tim Tebow had to shut it down because he injured a bone in his right hand, which makes swinging a baseball bat effectively at a triple-A level difficult. It does take about a year to recover from that injury. And Tebow will never use it as an excuse, but it needs to be noted. Now, that being said, as it stands right now, Tim Tebow is batting 125. Now, I'm not counting today's stats because they did play a game today, in which, by the way, he actually made a pretty good catch. Nice diving catch in the outfield for those that say, well, what's his all-around game like? Because I'm going to focus on some offensive stats here. But going into today's action, he's batting 125. That is last in AAA baseball. His slugging percentage is 163. That is last in AAA baseball. His on-base percentage is 186. That is second to last in minor league baseball. His home run numbers are not there. His RBI numbers are not there. He has struck out 32 times in 23 games. And I understand we live in a world in baseball where the strikeout is not the evil thing it used to be. That's a lot of strikeouts. So Tebow clearly doesn't belong in AAA baseball. If his name was not Tim Tebow, he would not be here. He would be in Binghamton or somewhere else that is not the high level of baseball that AAA baseball is. But he is Tim Tebow, and this is minor league baseball, and there are other considerations here. But what is happening is we are starting to see that more clearly than we did a month ago. Because a month ago, the season hadn't begun. He actually, at times last year with Binghamton and AA, 
hit 301 in June, and had a 340 average in July before breaking that bone I mentioned in his right hand. He was actually looking like a guy who could play minor league baseball, even at then 31, now 32 years old. Or I'm sorry, he's going to be 32 in a couple months, so he's still 31. But either way, typically an older prospect than the usual guys you see in A. His career batting average in two-plus seasons in the minors is 233. In that time, going into today's game, 261 strikeouts. So not only did we see Michael Jordan humbled by the great game of baseball where athletic ability can only carry you so far, we're now seeing that with Tim Tebow, one of the greatest college football players we've ever seen, has been humbled by baseball, the greatest basketball player I've ever seen humbled by baseball, which is amazing how if you can make it as a professional baseball player at that AAA or major league level, just how darn hard that is. So Tebow needs to be commended. He needs to be applauded for even making it this far. I just have to ask that obvious question. Would he have made it this far if his name was Tom Jones? Because we know the answer to that, and the answer to that is no. He would not. Okay. That being said, we all went into this with clear eyes. We all went into this knowing what the New York Mets are doing. And I was fine with that, and I'm still fine with it. Because part of minor league sports is promotion. Part of minor league sports is putting butts in seats. Because Tim Tebow will always do that. The question is, when do you get to the point where you want to be the the person that's responsible for the butts in the seats, and they're basically gawking at an accident. They're watching out of curiosity to see just how bad you are or how you're not developing at the rate you are, and you're you're an attraction for everything but being a baseball player. There's plenty of that in minor league baseball. They tend not to be on the field, though. So Tebow, who I applaud for everything he's done off the field and, and the person that he is, this has nothing to do with any of that. But I said it a month ago, I said I would stick to this and I would update it and I would come back to it. Through it all, how is he as a baseball player? And the fact of the matter is, he's not good. He's not a triple-A baseball player. He's just not. So when do the Syracuse Mets, when do the New York Mets come to the point where they say, we have to give up on this experiment? When do they say... He's a player that is taking up somebody's spot that we could be developing who's legit, who deserves that opportunity. Because it's appearing to me that Tim Tebow does not. We all know the gig. We all know what's happening here. And they're going to ride that as far as they can go. If I'm in Jason Smorrell's chair over at the Syracuse Mets, I'm doing everything I can to promote the heck out of Tim Tebow and sell the jerseys and do the thing, and that's great. Now, I found this interesting, too. And I don't want this to come across too harshly, but it's part of the gig. So Tim Tebow is supposed to talk to the media in the first game of a homestand, which I can't think of any other player in AAA baseball that has that kind of arrangement. But Tebow's different. He, he is different, and everybody acknowledges that. He didn't talk when the Mets were home for a quick three-game stand before they went on this current six-game road swing they're on. And the reason he didn't talk, and I know this because I witnessed it, is he basically, and I want to be fair to him, I don't want to misspeak here, but 
the reason Tim didn't talk to the media this time around is he basically said, well, what is there to talk about? I'm not playing well. He didn't want to take any undue attention away from other players on that. I mean, Carlos Gomez is batting like 360, who were not playing well. And I think that's fair, and I understand that, but here's my response to that. Tim, you are a broadcaster. You are a college football analyst. When you are on that set, on ESPN, the SEC Network, whatever the forum may be, do you only talk about the players that are playing well? Do you just kind of brush over players at the major colleges that you discuss when they're struggling? Because if you did, you're not doing your job. Part of being a professional athlete, and you know this better than anybody, is you talk good, bad, indifferent, and everything in between. If you're going to ride all the attention and everything, which he doesn't ask for all of it, but if we're going to do all this over here, then you got to pony up and step in front of that microphone and talk to people when you're batting 125 as well. It's frustrating. It's not what you want to do, but isn't that part of the gig here? That's part of, that's what professionals do. And we've had some examples recently. We played the uh, Brad Marchand clip. We played the uh, Russell Westbrook clips. Okay, but... Those are exceptions to the rule. Most of these guys do their, you know, they do their 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 duty. When you're talking to the media, you're not just talking to a bunch of guys and gals in a room with microphones and cameras and notepads. You're talking to the public, your fans. So that aside, like that's not even high on my list. I just think it's noteworthy that someone who has had all this attention all his life knows how to play that game and is now a broadcaster and is now in that position, says, well, I don't want to talk because I'm not playing well. Well, it, 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 it doesn't work that way. So here we are on May 8th. Is there a chance he can come out of this slump? I'm sure there is. But is he going to prove at any point that there is a gleam of hope that he can be an everyday AAA baseball player? I'm not even going to say major leaguer because the answer to that has always been no. I just have to wonder how long they're going to ride this train because as the weather tells you outside here on May the 8th in Syracuse, New York, we are only getting to the point where people are now saying, hey, I want to go to a baseball game because April and and parts of May are rough around here. It's gorgeous today. It was miserable yesterday, as we know. Primetime for AAA baseball is June, July, and August. And I know the Syracuse Mets want Tim Tebow around for that run. I'm just wondering if the New York Mets are even going to have the opportunity to do that. And i got to get to a break here and get Anish on, on the line. But as Joe and, you know what, I'm, I'm going to save this clip because we got to get Anish on the phone. I'm running late. But the point I was going to make there quickly is the Mets, the New York Mets, are spiraling out of control themselves. How is that going to affect Tebow? I mean, we'll see. It's... Got a long way to go here, but it's May 8th and the truth serum has been served. And Tim Tebow is not a legit AAA prospect. So where do we go from here is the question. All right, let's break. We'll change gears. We'll talk to Anish Shroff coming up. Syracuse and Loyola is going to feature one of the great individual matchups you may ever see. We'll tell you what it is coming up. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.